The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ron Schmelzer. And We've had a few, uh, well, controversial podcasts. <laughs> We've heard from some of our listeners. You know, some, some. It's interesting because we have so many different podcasts covering AI from so many different angles. Because what does it mean to be focused on AI today? You know, from our perspective, we want to know how AI is impacting your lives today, right? What are you doing with AI today? Not talking about yesterday. Not talking about tomorrow. That's why we don't really focus too much on research and also why we don't really focus too much on development stuff because that doesn't really help you understand when and how to use AI today. And we also don't like talking too much about like exactly today. We don't like follow today's news because tomorrow, your today, I know it's a weird way of putting it, will be different. And you'll be like, well, what you said on that other podcast isn't relevant to me today, right? And we want our podcasts to be relevant to you every day. So um, some of our topics cover things like glossary series, because you need to understand what AI is every day. Some of them talk about use cases, where how AI is being applied in different industries. We talk about trustworthy AI, which is keeping your AI safe and trustworthy today. We also talk about generative AI series, what it means for you today. And also, I think, especially on podcasts like the one we're going to do today, it's some of these more controversial ones, we talk about what AI really means for you today that may not be so obvious, that may actually be contradictory, because you might be seeing AI everywhere, but maybe the truth is that AI really still isn't everywhere. And what you're seeing may be more reflective of what's popular and less reflective as to what's actually happening. Yeah, you know, and when we first started the AI Today podcast, we started with, you know, does AI matter? It's a question that we really genuinely had. And we have gone back to a few times because we say, you know, does AI still matter? We started the podcast in 2017. Uh, it was a it was a much different world back then, uh, especially when it came to artificial intelligence. And so, you know, that's something that that we do reflect on. And we say, does AI matter? And we've also had podcasts on the AI winters. And so for our listeners that haven't listened to them, we'll link to it in the show notes. But at a very high level, we've been through two AI winters in the past. And it's a period of decline in investment and decline in interest with artificial intelligence and one main reason, you know, we have our AI failure series and there's different reasons why AI can fail. But a main reason and a main theme in the past two winters is that we overpromise and underdeliver on what AI can do. We overpromise. We have these big, grand ideas of what AI can do. And then we actually can't deliver on that. We had a recent podcast as well on pseudo AI. Some people also call it AI washing. And it's this idea of machines that you know, you're it's humans pretending to be machines, pretending to be human, right? And it's this fakery where it we're not actually at that level with technology, but we're pretending. And so we're using humans. And we talked about that. You know, there's a lot of issues with that, ethical issues, maybe some potential legal issues, but it can it, it's something that we are always mindful of. And overpromising and underdelivering can do bad things to the industry. But in recent 
years, the past year, maybe year and a half especially, we have seen tremendous excitement and maybe adoption, especially with certain types of AI, such as generative AI. Um, and so it, you know, we constantly go, okay, does AI matter? And is AI here to stay? Those are the questions that we constantly ask because you can you can think AI is important, but again, we can overpromise and underdeliver. It can just be too tough, too challenging to do. We can do it quicker and better and cheaper with humans which is why we've gone into AI winners in the past. So we say, okay, well, does this really matter? And what does this mean? And when do we know that it actually is here to stay? Right. It's a valid question to be asking every day. And it's like, how are we in the year 2024 asking the same question that we asked at the very beginning of our podcast in 2017? And, and you might be saying it's obvious AI matters. And I'm, and we're saying, well, maybe it's not so obvious. You know, let me put it to you this way. So there's a there's a concept in technology adoption called well popularized I would say by Jeffrey Moore called crossing the chasm and this idea is that every technology doesn't matter what it is it could be washing machines it could be radios it could be the internet it could be artificial intelligence it could be anything goes through this adoption life cycle it's not like one day nobody has washing machines and the next day everybody has washing machines what happens is that different populations of people tend to adopt technology at different rates for different reasons. People have different personalities. People are motivated by different things. Some people always want the latest, newest thing, even if it's half broken, doesn't all work. The promise is much more than what it can actually do. But they're like, they want to be literally ahead of the curve. And that's what crossing the chasm looks like. It looks like this curve. They want to be ahead of that. They want to be in the front. Right. Then you have others that might be like, I like new things, but I don't like being at the bleeding edge. Right. It's called the bleeding edge almost because it's going to cut yourself more than whatever this new technology trying to trying to do. But they're 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 following fast on the, in that sort of first batch of people. Then you have really this the the sort of the larger part of the market. They're like, okay, this is a new relatively new proven technology, but it's proven and there's enough experience out there to show how I would use it. It's available. I can get tech support. I don't need to be like those early people bleeding on myself on this device thing. Right. And then of course you have the people who follow those people who are like, they want everybody else to prove it first. And then you have the people who will be dragged kicking and screaming to use that technology because they would much rather use the thing from decades ago that always, always worked for them. The old timers, right? This is the crossing the chasm idea, this chasm idea. And the reason why there's a, there's, there's this, a technology adoption lifecycle curve, actually, that's what it generally, it's not the chasm yet. It's just the curve where you have innovators at the beginning, you have some early adopters, then you have this early majority phase, then the late majority phase, and then you have the laggards. And we'll link to this book. Uh, there may be an Amazon affiliate link there, but that's cool. Support us, support this podcast, click on that. Buy this book if you don't have it. It's called Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. And as mentioned, he popularized this idea. The idea he really popularizes is that there's a gap between those early communities, the folks who will adopt technology just because it's new and just because they can already see, like they have the vision, like they know what it's good for. So they can see the future and they know how, how useful it is. And so they're willing to adopt it with all its flaws, with all the deficiencies, and then you have the early majority who wants to wait until it's proven. And it, and the theory is that there's a gap, that, it, that it's not 
like just one smoothly goes into the other. And some technologies never cross the gap. Some technologies, now I would put this out there, virtual reality is one of these technologies that it's like always like feels like uh, they're like just at the cusp of everybody using it, but there are problems. And so it has something might kick it. Apple is betting thousands, millions of dollars, billions of dollars, I guess, on the idea that we're going to, everybody's going to buy a headset, I guess. Uh, but we have not crossed that gap. And so the question is, has AI crossed this gap? Have we crossed the gap between just data scientists and the early community really using it to everybody using it? Or maybe is this kind of disjoint, right, Kathleen? It's like, maybe not all, maybe some of AI has crossed it, but maybe not all of it. Yeah. Right. And when we talk about AI, we like to break it down one level further into the seven patterns of AI because AI is an umbrella term. It means so many different things to so many different people. We have autonomous vehicles. We have AI-enabled chatbots. We have generative AI. You know, we have we have so much that falls into this umbrella. And so when we talk about AI crossing the chasm, we at Cognolytica like to say, all right, let's take it one level deeper, maybe even two or three levels deeper and say, okay, well, has each pattern of AI crossed the chasm? And then within the patterns, maybe certain things have and certain things haven't. So, you know, as I said, over the past year, year and a half, so many people are talking about large language models. So many people are talking about generative AI. So many people are talking about how is this going to impact me? And they feel that they're using AI on an every single day basis now, where maybe in the past you were as well when you were using your uh, GPS system to get you from point A to point B. It was giving you, you know, optimal routes. But again, that didn't feel any different than when you got on your little map quest years ago because it was still taking you from point A to point B. So it didn't really feel like you were using AI or you're typing emails and you're getting, you know, predictive text to help you autofill or to help you with maybe, you know, uh, different grammatical things or spelling but again, that doesn't really feel like AI because I already write emails. I'm using it. I don't have to pick that term. Spam filters, same thing. Okay, you know, go in. Yeah, that's helpful, but mm, doesn't really feel like AI. I still got to go in and kind of delete it. But with generative AI, it's been different. And a lot of people have been talking about it. We always say that AI impacts every single industry. It really does. But I think generative AI, people feel now that they're using AI on an everyday basis and feel that they have it at their fingertips. And we say for, for that, it has crossed the chasm. Now, you know, we have a lot of people that are adopting it. It's some of these companies are growing super quickly, uh, really gaining a lot of traction. And so for that, it's crossed the chasm. But on other things like autonomous vehicles, for example. Has that crossed the chasm? Can we can we even buy fully autonomous vehicles? Uh, you know that we can use for our personal uh, everyday lives. The answer is no, we can't. So that's nowhere near crossing the chasm. I mean, that's barely in the you know innovators stage because I can't even buy it. And then if I could, how much money would it be? I mean, people like I think would just be at a you know financial disadvantaged, like not many people can afford these fully self-driving vehicles that are quite expensive. So have we crossed it there? And that's what we do. You know, and we say, okay, maybe with predictive analytics, where we're just helping humans do their jobs better, helping, you know, look at data, maybe, maybe that's crossed the chasm. Maybe, maybe people are using it, especially in businesses, but not, yeah, not like individuals on an everyday basis. 
Yeah, and I think another way of thinking about this is not thinking about how people are using these technologies, but what it takes to kind of create the solution. So if you're a solution provider, anybody can pick up uh, ChatGPT or Bard and really go to town. Prompt engineering is not coding. It's probably the actual real no-code. When people talk about no-code, low-code, you can't go any more no-code than ChatGPT. Prompt engineering is just typing words that come to your brain. No, you can learn how to do prompt engineering better or worse, but it'll work. You type in goat picture, it'll create goat picture, right? I don't know what it'll create. Send us the images, please. But, you know, um, but so so from that perspective, generative AI is available to the average person who wants to build it into their solution or to use it, right? You can't really say that about many of the other applications of AI. Many other applications of AI, for example, predictive analytics, well, Maybe the applications might be usable. Creating them may still require a data scientist. It may require a machine learning engineer. It may require all six steps of CPMAI done in full multi-iterations, meaning collecting the data, cleaning the data, building your models and hyperparameters and tuning your models, and then doing model evaluation to see if it works, and then operationalizing it, putting it into the cloud. And all the generative AI people say, you don't have to do any of that. I don't need to worry about where my model sits. I don't need to worry worrying about cleaning my data. I don't need to be worried about hyperparameter optimization. So it's actually, it seems like a split because the community of people who are so-called experts at generative AI are a very, very different community than the people who are experts at building machine learning models. And I think this is kind of where we start seeing the first cracks, if you will, in AI adoption. How is it that generative AI already has so broad adoption, but so many enterprises are still saying they're not doing AI? I thought everybody's doing generative AI. This is like the weirdest thing. Like, wait, everybody's doing generative AI, but no one's doing AI. It's like, it's like a cognitive dissonance. What does it mean? Well, what it means is that they're doing this one particular thing, and maybe this does have broad adoption, but everything else is just as stuck as it has been for years. And I think many of you, our listeners, you might be kind of like having this weird uh, you know, issue where your management team might be expecting you to be much further along in your AI projects because they could see the FOMO. They could see all this stuff out there. And they're like, how can they be doing all this AI? Why is your, why is your uh, analysis tool, why is your predictive analytics solution taking so long? We had somebody on here where they talk about it taking 12 to 18 months. How could it be taking you 18 months when I can I could spend 20 minutes on chat GPT? Why is it so hard? And I think it's because these are not the same thing at all, are they? Yeah. Right. And I think that, you know, that's why we always talk about the seven patterns of AI and we say, you know, what are you really trying to accomplish here and what do you need in order to accomplish it? So what data do you need, right? I mean, when we're using large language models, we as Ron said, we don't need to have training data, uh, really, you know, and you can just use it off the shelf as is. Uh, maybe you want to personalize it a little for your organization, but you can use it just off the shelf. So you don't need to gather that data. You don't need to clean that data. You don't need to be managing that data. And the roles that are going to be using this are quite different. You know, you think about what is that end user look like or that role look like using generative AI versus somebody who's going through the entire process of 
you know, building it and building AI systems. And it's different. Somebody going through, you know, the CPM AI methodology phase by phase is going to be a different role and a different person than someone that is just figuring out how to use generative AI to help them write an article better. (laughs) It's a lot different. A lot different. And I think it's useful because um, sometimes people feel like we're much farther along than we actually are. I like to give, when I think about the technology adoption lifecycle or Jeffrey Moore's crossing the chasm, I often like to think about television actually and video, right? So if you think about kind of, you know, television was invented like in the 1920s, 1930s. That's kind of when the first things were, there were very, very, very few people. Like there, there were some television sets being built, but what was the problem? Well, there wasn't much to watch. So like the motivation for people to buy it, the people who bought it had to really believe that they're like, I'm going to buy this television. I know right now today there's not much to watch, but surely, you know, <laughs> in the future there will be. And there were early adopters and innovators who bought these wonky sets that they had to probably go in there and configure and replace the vacuum tubes themselves. And, you know, and, and those televisions were actually built for those kind of people because they knew that the early adopters and the innovators were tinkerers by nature, right? And by the way, the advice in Jeffrey Moore's Crossing the Chasm is that if you target yourself to these innovators, you have to make your tools tinkerable because the innovators are used to it and they want it and they know that they're early. They're not fooling themselves. So you have to give them that access. But obviously something happened, right? The 40s, the 50s happened, and and both the availability of television sets and the availability of television stations made it such that they were expensive if you watch Back to the Future. Uh, you remember the scene where, you know, Marty talks about, oh my, I've seen this show before. And they go, and they, of course they don't realize he's from the future. And they go, what? This show's out now. He goes, he goes, yeah, I have like, you know, four or five televisions in my house. And they're like, what? You have four or five televisions? So in the space of the 1955, right, to 1985, those 30 years, television became just mass adopted, right? But even then, what would it have taken to create, to make your own video in the 1980s? Well, you did have camcorders, right? I'm not talking about, you know, motion, like film. I'm talking about making videos, right? Very few people had video cameras in the in the 1980s. It became a little more popular, right? The 1990s, but even by the end of like, even if I was, if this was the year 2001, even, and I said, make me a corporate video for something, you'd have been like, holy cow, that's going to take like money. I need a set editing tools. I mean, the knowledge that well, you couldn't just tinker with those with those technologies. So now look, fast forward another decade or two. Now the power of video creation is so trivial. It's like in your pocket. Everybody can do it, right? I mean, you think about a child from the 80s versus a child from the 2020s. So, you know, what, 30, 40 years, depending on how old you want to say they are, age gap. Um, Yeah, that, that took a lot of passion in the 80s technology you needed access to those things now you know you just borrow your parents smartphone and you can create and edit and produce a pretty high quality video right you couldn't do tiktok in the 1980s (laughs) for for about 100 million reasons why you couldn't do tiktok but but tiktok makes sense now because you're you're you have a pocket video studio and you can it's easier now to Mm -hmm. to record than it is to, to type. It's a crazy thing to say because in the 1980s, it was easier to type than it was to make a video, right? So I, I want to bring that back to AI because it, it feels like we're in the 1980s with AI in terms of video than the 2020s. Put you that way, right? 
it's becoming easier and easier to use AI. And there are some kinds of AI, like watch, like having four television sets in your house, like in the 1980s, not that unusual, like having AI now using it, using a generative AI model, which is what you're doing. You're not making an AI model. You're using a generative AI model. It's become trivial. However, it's not like you have your own AI generator in your pocket. You don't, you, the average, still the, the, the typical person, it takes a significant amount of effort to build a new AI model. You still have to do all the things at video editing, just like model, you know, <laughs> iteration, just the creation. It's like all this stuff. It's like, you know, and, and just think about all the things you needed. Right. And, and that's actually kind of how, as I say, that's kind of how it feels like to me. And it feels like maybe generative, as I said, generative AI may cross it, but the vast majority of AI is still in the realm of the innovators and the early adopters. And I think that is what we are seeing. For our list, that is what we are seeing. The vast majority of enterprises still treat AI, other than generative AI stuff, as a specialized discipline within a particular part of the organization. It's kind of the truth. Right. And we'd love your insights and input on this as well. So absolutely reach out. We love to hear from our listeners. We love to hear your comments on the subject. So you can reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can reach out to us personally or to our Cognolytica page. You can also go to our website, Cognolytica.com, and message us there. Um, or you can rate and review the podcast and this particular topic and let us know, uh, you know, your insights there. We do love to hear from our listeners. We hear from many of you. So thank you, as always, for reaching out. You give us great feedback on episodes and topics that we've talked about and also give us ideas for future topics as well. Some conversations, people have been interested in AI and cybersecurity. So maybe we'll be addressing that. Um, and as, as well, we also talk about different topics in our weekly newsletter that we're now producing. So you can find that. I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. But you can always find that on LinkedIn or on our website as well. You can get it as an email version or a LinkedIn version. Uh, but we do love to hear from our listeners. So definitely make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. Reach out to us. Let us know what you like and ideas for future topics as well. And we would definitely like to hear your, your you know, thoughts on this idea of AI and have we crossed the chasm or are there certain parts that have and certain parts that haven't. Like this episode and want to hear more? With hundreds of episodes and over 3 million downloads, check out more AI Today podcasts at AIToday.live. Make sure to subscribe to AI Today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, or your favorite podcast platform. Want to dive deeper and get resources to drive your AI efforts further? We've put together a carefully curated collection of resources and tools handcrafted for you, our listeners, to expand your knowledge, dive deeper into the world of AI, and provide you with the essential resources you need. Check it out at aitoday.live slash list. This sound recording and its contents are copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. <laughs>